Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we're back. What's up, Brendan? How you doing, bro? Life is always amazing with you, Billy. Super excited <laughs> to see you. How are you? You too, man. Well, I'm uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. And I'm excited to dive in on a topic because I think a lot of people probably think to themselves, should I be doing this or should I be doing that? And the process of identifying where we spend our time, especially as it relates to how we want to make an impact on the world, it matters, right? Like it's time well spent. And also it's easy to make a mistake. It's easy to either rush into something or have so much analysis, it becomes analysis paralysis. And I think giving the building blocks of what it takes to really define how we want to make an impact is important. I think we have to break down and give some clear guidelines to anyone who wants to know how they could go about doing this in the most effective way possible. Now, no one's saying that you have to follow what we're going to share, but we're going to hopefully share something that might help you. So Let's go in and talk about this subject. I gave you a list of about 15 topics that we could explore tonight, and you chose this one. So let's start there. Why did this one stick out over the other 14? Yeah, for sure, Billy. You know, for me, impact is something I think about all the time, as you do, because our life is so finite. We don't live for a long number of years, so we might as well figure out how to reverse engineer our life for success. And there's a great quote by uh, Bronnie Ware, who's the author of the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying that you talked about in many of these shows. And the number one regret that human beings have by far is they lived a life to other people's expectations rather than their own. So thinking about your own lifespan, how you want to live your life, what impact you want to make proactively rather than reactively will allow you to, to say that when you call it quits, that you got to leave an impact and, and something really amazing. And, and to get us started with that, 
one of the models that I did not show you yet because I learned it last week. So there you go. You said to surprise you. So here it is, is Kevin Systrom's Triangle of Impact. So Lex Friedman asked Kevin Systrom, for those who don't know who Kevin Systrom is, Kevin is the CEO of an app that you probably use on a daily basis called Instagram. He built the company for 13 months with a very small team and then sold to a billion and changed to the amazing Mark Zucks, the Zucks himself at Facebook. That is not called Meta, excuse me. That is not called Meta. So yeah, so Kevin Systrom, when asked the question, he just said this. There's three questions to keep things super simple on how to make an impact. The first question is, what do you love to do? What's something that ignites you? What's something that gives you energy that you enjoy doing? The second question, it's kind of like a trifecta of impact, like all three. It's kind of like Ikigai, but more, if, for those who don't know, Ikigai is like a similar framework, Japanese term, but uh, this one's more easier to digest. So let's just go through this one. The second trifecta is what are you good at? So what's something you're passionate about and something you're good at? And then the third question is, does the world need it? How does it help the world? Is the world going to benefit from this thing? So let's say you're passionate about, I don't know, digging up dirt. And you're really good at it with your hands. Uh, Well, if it doesn't serve the world, if it doesn't help people in any way, the trifecta is not complete. But the other piece that I want to drive, going back to a, a famous quote by Steve Jobs, is it's a lot easier to connect the dots backwards rather than forward. It's really difficult to predict what someone wants to do in life and how they actually end up making impact. Think of me. I was an accounting major. People don't know this. I don't talk a lot about this until somebody told me to. I studied an accountancy. This is like the most mundane thing you could ever do. Like, not real offense to accountants. I mean, I have a lot of accounting friends. So, but yeah, numbers all day long, spreadsheets. And I went from that to YouTuber, public speaking coach. Who's going to be in Los Angeles with you? Who who does this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But the key is, as we learn more, a little bit, little bit more about ourselves, and we keep that top priority, we eventually are able to connect the dots based on those three questions. Mm, yeah, and it makes perfect sense, right? Because if you are missing one of the three ingredients, it falls apart. And I think it happens a lot, though. It happens a lot where maybe we're passionate about something. We might even be good at doing it, but if the world doesn't need it, if there's not a demand, if there's not a way for you to give this in a way that's meaningful and helpful to other people, the first two don't matter. And same goes to if there's two others and missing a third one. So you talk about reverse engineering, and I think it's important to note that you got to, I guess, have some sense of where you want to go in order to be able to reverse engineer. So how do you first figure that part of it out? Because I know speaking from a perspective of there's a lot of things that I love to do and there's a lot of things that I'm pretty good at. So how do you then boil it down? What is the process of narrowing it down? And are those two the same? The end goal is the end goal the same as figuring out what those two things are? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's two parts. To that. Let me start by building on what you said earlier around the challenge of the trifecta, because I feel that would help people. So let's go through those three questions and then let's jump into the process, Billy. So the three questions, like I said, were, what are you good at? What is something you're passionate about? And the third question is, uh, what does the world need? Does the world need what you're doing? So let's go through the challenge of answering two out of three. So let's say you do something you're really good at, and the world needs it, but you're not passionate about it. So that's the first scenario. So I'll repeat that again. You're really good at it. You're, the world needs it, but you're not too passionate about it. An example is, let's say you're in a lawyer at a law firm. 
So you're really good at being a lawyer. The world needs it. They're paying you good money for it. They're like, thank God you exist. But you're not energized by it. Gay Hendricks calls this the zone of excellence. So you're very good at it, but it's not your zone of genius, which is the the trifecta of the three. So that's the conundrum there. And then let's move on to the second uh, predicament, which is let's say you're passionate about something. You really care about something and the world needs it. Okay, You're passionate about something and the world needs it. But you're not good at it. <laughs> if you work really hard at it, you're not good at it. And, and that's okay. And this is a good example of you found the right problem, but it's not the problem that you should be solving for. Maybe that's more of a hobby rather than a passion. It's still a hobby. You still do it. I mean, heck, if, if you care about it and you're passionate about it and you love it and the world needs it, but you're not good at it. You could still do it, but keep it as a hobby. So an example might be like you want to, I don't know, uh, solve the water crisis. You want to create this engine that helps people and you're passionate about it, but you don't have the chops. You're not putting in the time to get there. Then then maybe it's not ideal. And then you have the third idea, which is actually in this case, you're passionate about it. You're good at it, but the world doesn't need it. So in that case, that's definitely a hobby where you're doing something that doesn't serve the world. So that's the issues with all three. So now, how do you build up the process? What, how does this begin? So the way that I think about this, I would say point number one is really getting started with what you're good at. I feel out of the three questions, that's probably the easiest one out of the three to at least get some idea. In. People generally know what they're good at, Billy. Maybe not all of the time, like I didn't know I was that great of a speech coach until probably five years ago, but I'm still fairly young. But as you get older, make a list of things that you're good at. And the best way to do this generally is to compare yourself to other people. So for example, when I had the idea to start Master Talk, it wasn't an accident that I chose to focus on communication coaching. So when I compared, let's say myself to other career coaches, which career and life coaching were other two things I considered. You know, I was like, okay, I'm a good career coach, but I'm not that amazing. Same thing with life coaching. Yeah, sure, I give some great life advice when me and you are kind of having fun on this podcast. But would I like do this as a full-time gig? Would I be a top 1% life coach? Uh, Not too sure about it. So writing a list of everything that you're good at and having friends, people around you tell you what you're good at. I mean, you ask me this all the time is also a big piece of that as well. I'm glad that you said that being the first thing and why it's important. I do think that most people in their gut know what they're good at versus what they maybe compared to other people, especially they're not as good at. But let's just say they lack self-awareness because there are a lot of people who lack self-awareness. I'll, I'll give you a story. I, I hope they don't watch, but I coach a baseball team and one of the players has no self-awareness of his skill level. And it's actually quite adorable and cute. He's very confident, very confident. He wants to pitch and he's, can barely throw the ball. And so he, he lacks the awareness. Granted, he's 10 years old, or actually probably nine years old. He lacks the awareness to recognize that he, especially compared to his peers on the team, he shouldn't be one of the people pitching because there's much better pitchers on the team. So if you lack that self-awareness, you might not know you lack that self-awareness, but let's just give you the benefit of the doubt and say you at least know you lack some self-awareness. What are the best ways for you to get either people around you to help or other ways for you to find out what you're truly gifted at. 
Ah, Billy, there's a lot of directions that can go into this because it's a wonderful question. Here's the easiest one I default to, which is a bit of a tough love. Not for the 10-year-old. The 10-year-old is fine. You, this is not for that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just an example. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, this doesn't apply to them. So this tough love is for the people who are a bit older. So what I would say is if nobody is questioning your beliefs in your surroundings, if no one is telling you the whole car truth, if no one is you know, questioning, hey, I think you could do better. I think you should do something else with your life or at least ask you the question that is entirely your fault. So why do I say this? Because we are what we attract, Billy. So if we're not open to criticism, we're not open to feedback, we're not open to new ideas, generally, we will connect, we will meet people and we will attract people who are just as close-minded as we are. But the opposite is also true. You know me, I'm bad at a lot of things, but there's one thing that I'm particularly good at, which is keeping an open mind. I try anyways. So when we have that open mind, we generally filter through people who are just as open-minded as we are. So let's say we give a piece of advice to somebody, somebody goes, oh yeah, like I already know that. In my head is like, I really shouldn't be talking to this person. It's a waste of my time. Versus let's say somebody like you, I'm telling you something. You're like, tell me more. Tell me more. Please tell me. And then you implement it the next time. Like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. All right, same thing with you to me, right? You give me ideas and I'm like, oh, I should really be doing that. So we are what we attract. So I would really start the conversation there is, are you surrounding yourself with people who are just as open-minded as you are? Because the people that are surrounding you will be just as open-minded as you're willing to be for yourself. I mean, look, we hear it all the time, your net work is your net worth. And it's so, 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 so critical to have people in your orbit that one, like you said, have an open mind, but at the same time, aren't afraid to tell you when you should be doing something else. One of the reasons you and I gel is that we're not afraid to be brutally honest with each other in a very fun spirited way. We're not afraid to tell each other if we think the other person should be doing X, Y, or Z. So now let's make this real. Let's look at some examples in the real world. I'm going to challenge you here and look at somebody who has done a good job of identifying how they want to make an impact. And maybe they didn't have it figured out from the beginning. Maybe it evolved. So who would be a good case study for us to dissect? You already know who I'm going to pick. I mean, it's pretty obvious. The king of self-awareness himself, Gary Vaynerchuk, I think is the best example of someone who has done the trifecta really well. But And before breaking him down, one caveat I will give to Gary, and that's my hats off to him. He's definitely one of the few people I've seen in the world. He's kind of like an Elon Musk in my head, a weird character, where he kind of figured it out on his own. He just woke up one day in high school and he just said, yeah, I shouldn't be in school. I should be building businesses. He was very self-aware for someone who was like 9, 10, 11 years old. And I'll go into the story as to why that is. But as I tell the story, I want people to really frame in their mind that this is an exception case, not the norm. I would say the norm is more about like me. I can't do this on my, I need people like Bill. I need people around me to always question what I'm trying to do so that I'm always in the right direction. But Gary's the exception case. But let's dive into it because I think he's an excellent example regardless. So what happened with Gary V was growing up when he was like 9, 10, 11, he always loved entrepreneurship. And the reason he always loved entrepreneurship is because his dad owned a liquor store in New Jersey. 
And through that, he learned a lot about the wine business. His dad almost never saw him. He was running his store almost every day. That was his first love. So then when he got to school and he started getting a bunch of Ds and his teachers were telling him how terrible he was, most kids in that scenario would say, oh, I, I guess I'm not that great. But what Gary Vee did, which is a bit different, Billy, is he said, wait a second, these teachers aren't really focused on what I want to do in life. So I'm going to focus on entrepreneurship. And that's how he started selling baseball cards on the weekend. He, I, th- I heard he was making $2,000 in a weekend or something as like some 13-year-old. And he would literally pick people's flowers in front of their house and sell them back to them and then sell lemonade stents, all that stuff. But that's more of the fun stuff. Later in life, which I think is more interesting, Gary Vee did a really good job of auditing his trifecta. What is he good at? What does the world need and what is he passionate about, especially in his late 20s? So his 20s were pretty much sacrificial. He sacrificed all of his 20s for his family. He built his dad's wine business from three to 60 million. Sure, he was somewhat passionate about it, but it wasn't really his core. It was more like a family business. So he cared about it. But when he exited that business at 32, 33, he had a lot of options on the table. One of those options was to raise venture capital and start a tech company. Another option was to keep you know, building the wine business and do something else. But Gary made a very counterintuitive call to start a brick-and-mortar ad agency, a complete marketing agency. And the reason he did that, despite everyone else telling him that he was crazy, he was an early investor in Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter, primarily in Facebook. But what his rationale was is he said, wait a second, I looked at my trifecta here. I'm really passionate about technology. I believe the world needs what I'm doing, but I ain't good at it. I'm not the kind of person who's going to build a technology company. So instead of what everyone is telling me to do, because I'm going to fail, and he was right, by the way, because a lot of people went that direction, did fail, and no one knows who they are anymore. They're kind of off the map. So he said, let me start VaynerMedia because I have a very unique thesis, which is I believe social media will change the world. I've tried this before everyone else. I know all the platforms better than anyone else. And no one in that ad agency at the time anyways was focused on social media marketing. So he dived into it and focused all of his energy on that. So this is an example of someone who used the trifecta really well to their advantage. And you know what stands out to me in that entire story more than anything is that He knew what he wasn't good at. And I think that's a really key insight and a key component to think about because yes, it's important to know what you're good at and it's equally, if not more important to know what you're not good at. So you're not wasting time doing something that you're not going to be one of the best in the world at this. I'm not saying that everything you do, you need to be the best in the world, but look, if you want to make a a big impact, if you want to make a world changing impact, We had an episode on this, put yourself in a category of one. And if you're not in a category of one, at least put yourself in a very small circle of people who excel in this area. Oh yeah. Let me double tap on what you said there. You're so, you're so self-aware. I love that. You're so good. I even saw you out of the corner of my eye and I knew it. (laughs) Cause you said something that was so good that I, I need a double tap on, which is in my opinion, Billy, you are not self-aware, not you, but you in, are not self-aware in general if you don't have a list of your weaknesses. And I'm always super upfront, by the way. There's only a very small list of things that I'm, I'm really world-class at. Being on a podcast, making YouTube videos, specifically being the puppet who sits there and talks, and coaching. I call this the three C's of time management, how I spend my time. And all of these three C's, I'm world-class at. Coaching, 
conversations and content creation. Coaching, conversations, and content creation. Anything outside of these three, I'm garbage at, literally. I can't edit videos. I don't know how to do laundry. I don't cook. My mom does everything for me. Like, uh, I don't know how to do a setup, right? I'm sure my audio isn't correct or the setup around this. Uh, I should probably dress better. Like, I have so many weaknesses. I'm very impatient sometimes. But because I'm aware of that, because I know that intellectually, like, I can't write blogs consistently. I'll, I'll pass out. I'll just be like, I can't do that. But because I know everything that I'm terrible at, I can optimize against that. I can say, okay, I'm not good at editing videos. I'm not going to go out there and spend a seven hours learning Adobe, whatever it's called, X or Y. Like, I'm just not good at it. I'm like a zero out of 10, literally. <laughs> I'm probably the worst. Or coding too, horrible, like absolutely trash. Don't put me in front of a code, I'd, I'd ruin it. But knowing that, acknowledging that, understanding my weaknesses allows me to delegate it to really smart people who know what they're doing in those areas. So I'm just focusing my time on my three C's. So yes, you're absolutely right, Billy. Understanding what you're not good at, I would argue is infinitely more important than understanding what you are good at so that you don't work on things that aren't actually serving you, the strengths that you have and the world ultimately. So yeah, great point. And I think it it actually elevates your strengths when you're not afraid to admit you're not good, or at least you're not world-class, or at least you're not elite at a certain thing. It gives you the freedom to not do that. It gives you the, the freedom to double down on your strength, which for those playing at home, if you put the word Salibi, my last name, in the Google box, the first thing you'll find is my cousin who wrote something called The Strengths Perspective. And even Brene Brown tweeted about the strengths perspective. And he's the most famous Salibi, let me assure you. And, and what that does, it's actually really fascinating. It talks a lot about how we should be thinking about how we can focus on our strengths. But part of focusing on our, on our strengths is also knowing what we're not strong at so we can focus on them. As we round this thing out, man, I want to talk about some of the other mistakes or pitfalls, or roadblocks, landmines that we should avoid. One we've talked about, which is not acknowledging the areas of weakness. What else are things that people should be aware of, should be focused on when it comes to identifying as clearly as possible where they make an impact? Absolutely, Billy. And you're right. I did check out Saliba. You weren't kidding. This person's really famous. Amazing. So yeah, absolutely, man. I think what I would say is the other big mistake people make when trying to figure out what impact they want to create. Michael Seibel actually talks a lot about this. He's the CEO of Y Combinator and also was the founder of Twitch, the popular video streaming site that sold to Amazon. And Michael Siebel says the best, and then I'll use that analogy into the world. He says the best technology founders are always the weird, intricate person working on something that nobody else thinks is hot or trendy or cool, but sticks long enough with it that it becomes this really successful thing because they care so much about it. And then there's most founders, a lot of tech founders, that are always working on the same idea. Oh, is, is whatever's hot. Oh, blockchain, AI, algorithms. Flavor of the week. Crypto. I'm not even sure if I can even say the word. We might get banned instantly. The point is... 
is like people are just building what's hot. Whereas the people who end up succeeding are the people who, regardless of what other people are building, they're just building what they want to do. Think about all the successful companies in the last decade. Stripe by the Collison brothers. They were like kids in their early 20s building a payment solution for back-end businesses. That's not sexy. Who wants to do Airbnb. Hey, Bill, you want to come over to my place? Actually, not my place because you know some random person's place that you've never met before then give them money for it? Sounds like something really sexy to build, doesn't it? Yeah, people will get killed in those things. Yeah, super fun. Yeah, and then Uber too. Do you want to take your niece into a stranger's car instead of you? <laughs> totally. There's a small group of people who are, as Peter Thiel or just the general people call, independent thinkers. People who think on their own. So the challenge, Billy, is most people follow the crowd. And there's a theory behind this that Peter Thiel's mentor, Peter Thiel's the CEO and founder of PayPal with Elon Musk. His mentor is a guy named René Girard. Okay, he's like a French philosopher. There's a little French. Hold on. Can you say that again, please? Yeah, I know. Sorry. It's, I, you, just want to like, you just want to hear me pronounce it in French, don't you? Yeah, I want to hear you, dude. Speak a little French. Come on now. So the English, I guess, pronounced it, which is wrong, is René Girard. René Girard. Yeah, I like the way you said it way better. <laughs> but the correct pronunciation is, is René Girard. So Monsieur René, uh, don't worry, this won't be a French episode. He talks about this idea and that really influenced Peter's thinking and consequently influenced mine. And it's this theory called mimetic theory. So what is mimetic theory? Mimetic means that as human beings, René argues that we don't actually desire anything at all as humans. The only thing we desire is what other people desire. So let's say as we grow up, if Billy gets married, has kids, buys a house, that seems to be the right thing to go after. So I should probably have kids, buy a house, and get a great job or be an entrepreneur. So we tend to a mime, we tend to copy other people's desires. And that is a big danger of the human nature. Mimic. Mimic, thank you. That term is derived from mimic. See, that's another weakness. I don't know how to speak English, so that's why Billy's here to help me. <laughs> yeah, I'll translate. I'll translate for, the, for those interested. So you work on each other's strengths. So, we, so that's, the, that's the point, right? We mimic. So what, why am I telling all this? Why am I kind of spinning a bunch of wheels here? The reason is because of our desire to copy other people, because of our desire to follow the crowd, we tend to work on things that other people want us to work on, that other people find interesting, but not necessarily that we find interesting. So the question we need to ask ourselves, to make a long story short, Billy, is what would we work on, okay? What would we care to work on even if we didn't get paid to do it for 10 years, what would we care to work on or what would we like to work on for 10 years, even if nobody cared about it, if nobody found out, if nobody knew, if you never became famous, what would those things be? And the answers to those questions are almost always, if you really do it carefully, things that most people aren't working on. But if your answers are too similar, they can be similar, but if they're too similar to what everyone else is doing, then you're probably still following the crowd. I thought that's where you're going. It's a great point, right? What would you do if no one in the world knew you were doing it? Would you still do it? Because I think we're hardwired to people, please. We're hardwired to do what we think is going to somehow in the eyes of other people make us look a certain way. So, okay. So we have avoiding doing things just because other people want us to do it, or it seems that way. Making sure that you're aware of your weaknesses and obviously understanding the trifecta and how you need all three pieces of the trifecta. What haven't we talked about yet, Brendan? I want to give you an open-ended softball. 
What haven't we talked about yet that needs to be mentioned in the light of this conversation? Yeah. And just a quick point on this as well, Billy. If I had listened to the crowd, I probably would have started a YouTube channel like being a stand-up comedian and like told jokes every single week. So when we decide to be an independent thinker and go, you know what? I might as well make videos on executive communication at the age of 22. Why not, right? Like when we really focus in on what we intrinsically care about, that's when the magic really starts to open up. So I'd say the last point on this that we could talk about with impact is the idea, the iterative process and how we find the answers to life, right? The iterative process. And I really want to emphasize iterative. It sounds really cool now when I talk about Gary Vee or talk about somebody else on how they found the goal, but the process there is very muddy. It's not as clear cut. It's not as easy. So what I would encourage you to do is learn to make micro decisions, So what does that mean? That means make a list of 15, 20, 25. People need to underestimate the value of output, Billy. Let me give a quick story because I think this is really important. Is how I met you. So yeah, we have a great relationship. It's awesome. I get to meet you in person. People get to see us, can have this discussion. But people don't realize the chain of how this conversation actually happened. Think about this. So how did this start? Sam Kamani, this guy, based in New Zealand, reaches out to you. He's never been on a podcast in his life. He doesn't know what a podcast is. And somebody tells him, some friend of his, that he should guest on podcast. So he cold emails you. He doesn't even know you. He cold emails you. And he goes, hey, can I be on your podcast? And Billy's like, you. You're like, yeah, sure. And then you tell him to go buy a mic and bring the mic. And then you have him on the show. And then you tell him to start a podcast. So then he starts a podcast because you told him to. And then he puts his podcast on this thing called matchmaker.fm. It's like this place where you can book shows. At that time, that's kind of like one part of the movie. And then the other side of part of the movie is me. The pandemic just hit and people are telling me to guess on podcasts. I don't know what that is either. So I go on Matchmaker and what do I do? I pitch all of the shows to 300 shows with the same cold message. Boom, 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 boom. I don't sit there and think, which podcast would love to have me on? (laughs) Would it be the nature podcast or the technology podcast? No, no, no. I would pitch all of them. I just said, you know what? Let's just see who says yes and go from there. So I pitched 200 of them. A lot of them told me to say, you know what? Like, get out of here. Who cares about you, kid? Get out of here. And then there's maybe 50 of them, Sam being one of them, who goes, yeah, sure, this brown kid sounds interesting. Let's interview this guy. And the other 49 shows are kind of meh. And then I met Sam, great, built a relationship. And then he introduced us to each other. And that relationship completely changed our life. But here's the point that I want to drive. Is if I sat there on that day, Billy, and looked at Matchmaker and overthought which one to pitch, we never would have met. And the point I want to drive, the reason this is so important to this conversation is we're doing, we're making the same mistake with our passions. We're overthinking our passions. We sit there and we go, which one of these 27 should I pick? And in my head, I always think there's no such thing as a binary decision. You don't have to pick one and then lose the other. Just pick all of them. Like literally, if you really care about this, literally book out the next 30 days and every day spend all day doing one of them. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
It's just most of us aren't willing to do the output. We're not willing to make a vast majority of micro decisions to figure out what actually works for us. And that's the key. And I think what you're really telling us to do, and I think this is brilliant advice, is audition your passions. Give them a chance to shine or fall flat. It's like a talent show. Yeah, put them, it's American Idol. You got to give them a chance to show up in a meaningful way or the opposite or something in the middle. And then you could say, maybe I'll give this a second shot. Maybe today wasn't a good day, but you don't know until you give it that chance. And I love your point about micro decisions. If one of us decided not to make that micro decision, you wouldn't have met Sam or I wouldn't have met you or none of us would have met each other. And so remember, sometimes the smallest decision you make in a day can have the biggest impact on your life. Well said. Absolutely right. Well, this is a great one. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Brendan, as always, love you, brother. I'm going to see Brendan in LA on the 22nd of this month. So I'm super excited. We will probably do a live in person being at podcast movement. So for those who don't yet subscribe to Brendan on YouTube, go check out Master Talk. And if you haven't yet checked out Inside Out, please go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all the amazing comments. Until next time, we love you. Please do make it a great one. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.